Hi, and welcome to Hack the Net, where every week we provide the internet with the life hacks they demand. I'm Matt Heron. It's me, Jeff. I'm Louisa Heron. Yahoo! I do like, Yay. Jeff, that you're leaving the door open to the possibility that you are our third sibling. <laughs> By not saying your last name, it's kind of leaving that air of mystery. Like, oh, maybe he's the, the black sheep of the family. And now now that I've done the, the Mario impersonation, that's already putting into your mind the idea of siblings. siblings. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Specifically evil siblings. <laughs> oh, no. <Yes>. Wait. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Now we have to. There's only three of us, though, so I guess none of us would be Waluigi. Mm. But Waluigi's unknowable. But wait, is Waluigi the one we would kick out? Because I feel like I identify as, with Waluigi. Yeah, I, that was the thing that was puzzling to me. Is Matt is definitely Waluigi? Oh yes. For what if sure. we're all the bad ones? What if we're Wario, Waluigi, and I could be Boshi? <laughs> 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 then we'd have some fun, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, it's way more fun to be the bad guys in Mario, because the, the good guys are boring and have no personality. Uh, no, Mario is brave and Luigi is a coward. Those are their personalities. Yeah, <laughs> and then the twisted the twisted evil versions of that is, instead of being brave, being uh, foolhardy and greedy. No, no. The opposite of being brave, as we all know, is being a man made of farts. <laughs> Who loves garlic. Yeah. Yep. And the opposite of being a coward is being a pervert. <laughs> mm, I think those are uh, more closely related than that, yeah. unfortunately. Mm. While, uh, well, then take it up with Nintendo, I guess. Right. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Lu Luigi is scared of everything else, while Luigi is scared most of himself. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do like that. If you were going to dive deeper into Waluigi's personality, having it be a thing where he's like afraid to assume the mantle of power that is his destiny <laughs> i would be very into that every time like every i could be king but if i do what will happen to me as i am now <laughs> mm. no i think that he he hates himself and will self-sabotage and then be like ah everybody's out to get me i'm i'm the worst and everyone made sure i knew it I like that he's he might be a chosen one from a serious not serious but uh high stakes anime like Lupin or Cowboy Bebop or something cuz he's got the body type maybe he mm. escaped from one of those into the Mario world yeah, he so doesn't want to be part of that he's, and to fulfill his destiny I love the idea that he's like there's in Mario RPG they explore the idea of there being like ultra powerful extra dimensional beings like that giant sword mm -hmm. what if he is like the the scion of a line of super powerful warriors and he ran away to the mushroom kingdom and grew a mm. mustache and he's like ah yeah i'm uh i'm a i guess i'm Wa wario's brother <laughs> or something yeah i like the idea that uh wario just like went to the criminal store and there was a like <laughs> second tier Lupin sitting around and he was like, hey, put on these Groucho Marx uh, nose and mustache and come be my fake brother. Yeah, that'd be he cool. does look quite a bit like the king in the Katamari Damacy, so maybe he's escaped from outer space. Oh, yes. And, ooh, maybe this is why they won't put Waluigi in Super Smash Brothers, mm. because he would be the most powerful fighting character. Yeah, <laughs> he always declines because... to fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really wish they had made the third uh, in the trilogy, Escape from Outer Space, starring Kurt Russell. That would be great. They could still do it, there's still time. 
yeah, I think escape. I, I think escape from Earth was going to be the third one, and it just never. <laughs> they just never got around to making it. Oh, escape from outer space is way better a name because you could be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> to where? Where do you go? They're, yeah. they're in space currently and have to get back to Earth. Yeah, or like, I mean, if you're just trying to escape outer space, you could just crash anywhere. That's true. <laughs> And that's what uh, No Man's Sky was about. Yeah. You know what? In fact, what? if you wait long enough, you will escape from outer space into the sun, probably. I did see Escape from Outer Space, essentially. It was that Guy Pierce movie that they love on the Flophouse that they call Space mm. Jail. Oh, yes. Lockout, that's the name of it. Ah, uh, I don't even I mean, know that isn't, one. isn't Gravity basically Escape from Space? Oh, yeah. Aliens. That's- Gra- yeah. Gravity well, is like the escape room version of Escape from Space. The Martian, that's another escape from space. I don't think mm-hmm. that in Aliens, their main problem is being in space. Uh, but no one can hear you scream, and that's why it's no one can help. Tr- it's Well, hmm. I don't know that I agree with the second part of that. Like, yes, in space, no one can hear you scream. But if they could hear you scream, would they be able to help you in any meaningful way? Probably mm-hmm. not. Guys, I just... I wanted. I was looking for the name of the movie Lockout, and one of the facts about it is a French court ruled that it plagiarizes the plots from Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Oh, nice! <laughs> so I was that's crazy spot on thinking that it was Escape from Space. Yep, amazing. Well, that's great. I mean, then it becomes a thing where you could start this mythos of like, yeah, actually, that was supposed to be in the Escape series, but they couldn't get Kurt Russell, so they had to change the name or whatever. Yeah. Kurt Russell is an exclusive deal to place uh, Santa Claus now on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. I like when there's, uh, I don't know, I, I really liked Mad Max Fury Road's approach to continuity, where they were like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, this is Max. This is Mad Max, and we're not going to address the fact that he used to be played by a different guy who's 40 years older than he was last time he played the <laughs> character, and there will be no returning characters. Has anyone done a theory that Mad Max is a uh, Time Lord like Doctor Who? <laughs> I think the main theory was that the current Mad Max was a character from Beyond Thunderdome. Mm. Uh, but mm. there's not much in the movie to indicate that. Like, they didn't even... Stick, yeah. They didn't even I, stick Mel Gibson in the background or anything. I kind of like the Mad Max movies, like, the uh, the world building is none of your business. <laughs> like, they'll tell you a little <laughs> bit. Like, oh, this guy has six wives. Why? What's that about? None of your business. Yeah. Why don't you I mind oft- your own goddamn business, okay? <laughs> I often think about how in the... I've, the only Mad Max movie I've actually watched is Fury Road. Same. And so I'm not sure if the, this is addressed elsewhere in the series, but... They're in a apocalyptic future where every second of human life is hard and, and precious mm-hmm. to the person living it anyway. Just and like so diamonds, like, hard and precious. Yeah, and so you're so everyone is scrabbling to survive and, and you know, live every second or whatever. Where did they have the time and labor to carve the the leader's head into those giant water spouts in the desert? <laughs> Like, I understand you would want to do that as an insane emperor of a weird tribe living in the middle of the desert, but surely you would be like, well, I I keep telling people to carve my face into this mountain, 
and they keep dying before they get it done. Well, I think I, the lore of the world, as we've said, lets you know that the answer is none of your business. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh I mean the implication is that, you know, uh uh Imperator uh Immortan Immortan Joe. Joe. Yeah. yeah, Immortan Joe is like he somehow in the past, it's none of your business, got access to the water exclusively, and so yes. he can force people to work on penalty of not giving them water. Yes, I understand that part, but what I'm saying is there is such a, a limited number of people left alive and healthy enough to work <laughs> that you couldn't throw away yeah. workers on vanity projects, I don't think. Well, I don't think it holds up, of course, but I that's do That's why you're not like Immortan, so... Yeah, I guess that's true. I do like a director or even just a movie that decides it's going to do stuff for the aesthetic. I do enjoy yeah. that, so I'm okay with it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it works, I think, more as a... Uh, broad and trenchant satire than as a, like, clockwork device that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's absolutely hard sci-fi. I'm annoyed at all of the people who say that Mad Max is the most accurate science fiction. Mm, it's soft sci-fi. Yeah, it is, no one has ever said that. <laughs> I'm coining it. Yeah. Uh, it is absolutely for sure, I think, the uh, of the, like, post-apocalyptic movies, the one that uh, most captures probably how insane everything would be. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I that's don't fair. know. I think that hmm, I'm about to use the word awesome, and not in the sense of awesome being a good thing. In the sense of I it think, being like inspiring mm. awe. No, I guess maybe not awesome, but like radical or like I don't know, like Tubular. extremely gnarly. Cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like. I feel like the world of Mad Max is both horrible and radical in a way that is too extreme for what would be mostly just people trying to survive. Yeah, I agree. The fact that people like, there are so gross and so many of them are dying of horrible uh, radiation poisoning cancers, like, that is yeah. radical as an idea for a movie, because people don't want to see that. But it's, the movie's making you see it. Yeah. Yeah, I just mean, like... Again, I mean, obviously I know that Mad Max isn't supposed to be, like, uh, hard sci-fi, but if you try to think that this is what the post-apocalyptic world would be like, you have to square the fact that probably most people would be too sad to, you know, rock out on an electric guitar while Tina Turner beats someone to death. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe. Uh Bread and circuses, though, to distract you. I think that the yeah. end of Mad Max Fury Road it should have just brought up a title card that says, this was just a documentary about something happening in Australia right now. <laughs> yeah, you don't know about it, but this is all real. Mm -hmm. as, as far as I know, that's just what Australia is like. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt? I don't know, it seems like it's nice. Okay, sorry, go on. No, Matt, what'd you get up to this week? Tell me. Um, well, I have a few things that I could talk about, but I don't know that they're terribly interesting. I've been playing Octopath Traveler again on my mm. Steam Deck, and god, that game is good. I fell off it before, but fuck, I forgot how great that game is. And, like, minor spoilers for Octopath Traveler, it's not that far into the game, but once you unlock the part where you can have secondary jobs for all your characters, mm -hmm. so you can learn, like, all the job skills from all the different uh, classes in the game. Oh, you can make your, your characters so cool. <laughs> anyway, that's I all I wanted to say. That game. It was very good, but so hard in certain ways. Yes, but 
it gets fun when a game is very hard, but it gives you the tools to break it so that it could be easy. So, yeah. like, that one guy who has all the spells that- all the elemental spells that you can use to basically break every char- every enemy's defenses- mm-hmm. Um, the main problem with him is the fact that he runs out of magic so fast, but if you get the merchant skill that makes it so all of your skills cost half as much magic, and you get the dancer skill that makes it so that you regenerate magic points every turn, you Mm -hmm. regenerate more magic points than you spend every time you cast a spell. Nice. And then it's fucking awesome. (laughs) The problem I had with it was it... Uh, has a map laid out where you go through certain areas to get to the next area. And mm-hmm. while you're doing that, if you go slightly off the path, you can maybe find a new path to a new area. So yep. the game implies that you can discover and check things out. But then when you find that new path and you go into that cave, everything in there kills you instantly. And you realize the game is telling you you're not supposed to be here for another like 10 hours of gameplay or something. And it's like, well, then why did you let me discover it? Because I was excited to discover it. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I think that can be solved by power leveling. And then once you get to level like 40, you're just like, anywhere I go, I will be able to murder everything that's there. So it's fine. I guess so. I was too worried about getting all of my characters leveled up that I'd never level them up very high. Yeah, I am hitting that now where that dancer who's the worst is only yeah. level 10 and everyone else is level 40. Oh, man. Um, anyway, that's not terribly interesting. Uh, I also have been watching Breaking Bad, trying to see if I can get through it this time. Oh, you never uh, you never got through it last time? No, I think I've said before on the show that once I get to that bottle episode where they're where Jesse and uh, the fly, yeah. Walter are in the uh, the lab together, I'm just like, this is so boring, and I hate all of the characters. Isn't that like <laughs> that's like halfway through the series, though, isn't it? No, it's in season three or four. I think it's in season four. That's halfway I through? Mean, no, it's only a four-season-long show. Oh, I thought it was longer. Okay, so that's near no. the end. I know! That's why I'm like, I can watch- I can get through it this time. I like the first three seasons. I I don't even hate the fourth season, but, like, the characters are already pretty unlikable at this point, and it's hard for me to find reasons to continue to care about them. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, that's also not exciting. Instead, what I'd like to talk about is uh, I started watching the new Netflix series Sandman. Oh, uh-huh. I know several people who have started. Is that is it new? Is it brand new? Is that yeah, why? Yeah, it came out okay. on Friday. Uh, it, that makes sense. They've been trying to adapt the comic that it's based on for about thirty years. So I have heard that. I've heard so many people as potential uh, death, but yeah. Yeah, I appreciate- I haven't gotten to the part where Death is introduced as a character yet, although I do love that actress Kirby something-something, who was sometimes a guest host on Drunk History, amongst other things. She's great, and I'm very excited to see her as Death. Hmm. Um, I hear Gwendolyn Christie's in it. She's great. Yep, she's the devil. She's great as the devil. Uh, In the comic, the devil is shown as this kind of, like, androgynous- beautiful being which makes sense for the devil in biblical terms um Mm -hmm. but i do like that in this adaptation they're making it gwendolyn christie and they're not trying to make her androgynous but instead like kind of all sexual characteristics at once Mm, (laughs) like she's so strong and tough but also beautiful but also scary but also angry like 
I don't know. She's she's <laughs> all things masculine and all things feminine at the same time, and it's great. Yeah, <laughs> I I like mm-hmm. depictions of the devil like that. Um, mm-hmm. God, there's one I have in mind, but I think it would be a spoiler for the thing that it's in, so I don't want to say it, but there's an anime that has the devil in it that's pretty good, and the devil in it I like a lot. Wink, wink. <laughs> that could be any anime, I'm very certain. Yeah. It's My Hero Academia. Damn! Spoilers! <laughs> for the devil arc in My Hero Academia. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, I'm really enjoying- I didn't think that I would like the extremely pretty man that they have playing Dream, but he's doing a pretty good job. I guess, apparently he was in Pirate Radio, which was a movie that I liked but don't remember. Huh. He does look, uh, just, you know, blandly handsome, this guy. Yeah. Um, but it, in a way that works, I think, for the character. Okay. Uh, I've I've read the comic several times and enjoyed it. I- I know people who really, really like the comic who were all very much convinced that this adaptation would ruin it ahead of time. Uh Um, I didn't go into it with that thought process, and I think that's good, (laughs) because I can see how you could convince yourself that this is like, oh, they're ruining my favorite thing. But, like, I think it's a pretty good adaptation. I don't think it's bad. It seems to be getting decent reviews. Um, The one thing that I think is extremely funny about it, which is happening, I think, all over the place, especially with Netflix, is, like, uh, incredibly intense devotion to recreating specific images from the source material, but because it's live action and you're not stylizing the live action stuff at all, it just ends up looking like a normal scene and kind of bland. Yes. Um, like, there's a very... The the side-by-side I saw was, like, when Death first shows up, uh, uh, Dream is sitting at, like, the edge of a fountain, and it's like a... Because it's, you know, a comic book from the 90s, they can do a lot of, like... There's not a lot of color in the scene, and the space between them has... Is, is like empty and full of meaning, and then, like, the screenshot of the show is they're just sitting next to each other in, like, a park... Yeah, but that really, I mean, what you're doing there then is you're trying to be like, aren't you mad that this TV show isn't a comic book? And it's like, well, it can't be. Yeah. It's not yeah. trying to be. It, it uh, <clears throat> reminds me, I think, of, and, you know, not a judgment call because I haven't seen Sandman. I have heard it's pretty good. I may watch it. It's on my Plex. Uh, but it reminds me of the Zack Snyder Watchmen movie where he just went to so much effort to be like, okay, this is how this thing looked in the comic book, and I'm not going to think about anything about beyond about the aesthetic of it. Like, not yeah. nothing about the meaning or the, like, intent of the story or the themes, just recreating the look. Which I, I hope that... I don't think that Sandman probably did this, but I'm willing to bet that there's some executive who was like, no, you gotta recreate the, cl- the iconic images. That's what's gonna get yeah. people in there. Well... Okay, first of all, controversial statement, but I don't hate the Zack Snyder Watchmen as much as everyone else does. It's not his worst movie, that's for sure. <laughs> like, it, it's clumsy, and there's certain scenes that you definitely could do without, like the one where he jizzes a flamethrower. <laughs> but I do think that even though it clearly wasn't intentionally showing the sort of, like, ham-fisted fascism of people who idolize superheroes 
because the person who made it was a ham-fisted accidental fascist it still kind of works as that like watching it you can if you take that brechtian sort of distance from it you can be like oh this is exactly the kind of thing that someone in the world that watchman is trying to make would have made mm. you know what i mean yeah Ugh. anyway anyway uh, how's, um, how how many how many episodes of sandman are there in the season uh i believe there are eight and i'm three episodes in so i've just gotten to the part where they introduce uh constantine who in the books is john constantine but in the the show is joanna constantine and played by uh what's her name from doctor who um the woman who played clara oh Jenna Coleman. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, are they doing it like that arc was in the comics, where it's like the 1800s and she's Constantine's like great 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 grandmother or something, or is it? No, they, they so they hint at that because when he hears that one of his magical objects he needs to recover is in the hands of Constantine, he says. Uh, what Constantine is still alive? I remember him from three hundred years ago, and it's like not that one. Ah, uh, like, interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, also, which pronunciation do they go with? Uh, I think they say Constantine. I my instinct is to always translate that to Constantine because I think Constantine sounds stupid. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure that they always say Constantine. Yeah, I was I was shocked when I discovered that it was supposed to be pronounced Constantine uh, because like every adaptation goes with Constantine, even like the CW show where they still make him British and have that yeah. miserable accent. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, I am not a huge Jenna Coleman fan, but she's doing a fine job of, as the character. It's basically just doing the same thing she was doing on Doctor Who. That's fun. <laughs> I hope that she's having a good time. I I feel like she ended up with sort of a uh the bad end of the stick with regards to Doctor Who because those seasons had a lot of problems that I think got placed on her shoulders. Mhm. Uh, but I actually think she was probably the best part of those seasons. <laughs> Yeah, that's, oh boy, that's grim, but probably true. Yeah. yeah, she's, I don't think she's a very good actress, but I do think that she's trying hard, which I appreciate. God, if only, if only there were more actors who tried hard. Yeah. I wouldn't have to be impressed by objectively bad person Tom Cruise doing some stunts if there were other <laughs> actors who tried hard and did some stunts. Yes, absolutely. Um. Anyway, if it's interesting because they spend a lot more time than in the comics on the process by which uh dream gets captured in the first place for anyone who doesn't know the basic premise of sandman um it starts with the idea that there are these eternal characters in the universe that are like beyond gods they are just forces of the universe that have been personified because of magic or whatever um, and they all start with the letter D. So there's death, there's delirium, there's Dick. destiny, there's dick, I guess. Um, Thanks, Jeff. But, yeah. I uh, just wanted but, to remind you of one of the ones that you forgot. <laughs> um, but one of them is, uh, dream, who is the, the concept of, like, imagination and sleep kind of personified. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the beginning of the, the comic and also the Netflix series, 
there's like a human magician in the style of an Alistair Crowley type uh, who in the 1910s or whatever, who wants to bring his son back from the dead. So he tries to capture death, but the, he doesn't understand that there are these other Eternals out there. So when he casts his magical net, instead of catching death, he catches dream. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then he's like, well, I caught one of them and I'm not going to let him go until he gives me something. And so then dream is locked in this magical cage for a hundred years and during that time, humanity sort of devolves into uh, cruelty because they've lost their ability to have pleasant dreams, both like literally mm. and in the sense of imagination, imagining a better world kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is a fine, interesting concept. It's it's very Neil Gaiman in that it's like overly grandiose and kind of uh, bloviating a lot of the time. Yeah, in that sort of, like, Gen X, like, what if we all hugged each other kind of way. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, it's a good premise because it then leads to a lot of ways to explore how a world like this would work without having to explicitly state it. Like Mad Max, it does a lot of world building in the background where you're like, huh, I wonder what's going on there, but it never really tells you. Um, so anyway, this, that story of how Dream gets captured is covered in the first third of the first comic, um, but for the Netflix series, the first two episodes are about that, so it gets a lot more into who, Charles Dance plays the guy who captures him, so of course he's a bastard. (laughs) Um, I don't know, he seems like a nice guy to me. <clears throat> yeah, Charles Dance always plays such a great dad. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just like uh, you know, he wants what's best for his son who he hates. Yeah, exactly. Um and surprise in this show, they introduce a character who is his son and he hates him. Whoa, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so, you know, they do some interesting stuff with that. I'm appreciating the fact that I think you're right, Jeff, that there's a sort of underlying ethos of this project that they want to recreate cool images to like mimic the way that sandman was that sort of 90s 90s idea of cool yeah um but i appreciate that they don't it doesn't feel beholden to exactly recreating every character and story beat the way that it was in the comic it's sort of like how much i liked the netflix adaptation of cowboy bebop even though everyone hated it (laughs) Um, because again, it was like, it was the same vibe as the anime without needing to have every line of dialogue be identical. Mm. That was another one where they did a bunch of like shot for shot stuff that kind of didn't land. Yeah, but I appreciate that they balanced the shot for shot stuff with like trying to figure out how how to make some things make sense in a live action format yeah. that otherwise that wouldn't if you had just done it exactly the same i wonder why this show isn't on hbo max yeah because they lost their minds (laughs) yeah well it's they lost their minds like a week or two ago yeah and this show has been finished for long enough that it seems like because it's based on a dc comic warner brothers would want to put it on the warner brothers service yes and there's been several hints to other DC Comics characters in it, as there is in the comic. Like, I mean, obviously, the uh, the 50s 
superhero Sandman is referenced. Okay. Um, That's more than I expected, honestly. Yes. They didn't even cast the same actor as as the same Lucifer as in the like Netflix DC adaptation. Oh, that is true. Yeah, I forgot that that was a DC thing as well. But I mean, Constantine is there, as I said, yeah. Constantine, whatever. Um, and there was another one that I can't remember now, but they they hint at the idea that, like, the Flash is out there somewhere or something like that. Like, in a way that you don't necessarily have to be like, this is set in the DC universe, mm. but it's also not not set in the DC universe. <laughs> they make like a reference that. to a character going to college in Star City or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. They talked about somebody having some kind of lantern that was a color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one mm-hmm. remembers that color. Yeah. Yeah, there was just um, a billboard in the background from the Ham Council that said, Got Ham? Yeah. They're like, oh, I get it. It's like where Batman lives. <laughs> yep. Um, but, like, they do, uh, I think they do a good job of filling holes in the narrative in the comic that did genuinely bother me a little bit. Like, again, in the comic, this this wizard man who catches Dream and takes his magical objects away from him, um, you know, at the end of the hundred years when Dream finally escapes, he has to go out into the world and find out what became of these magical objects that were stolen from him. And it's like, well, why would this man who believes in magic and studies magic and cares a lot about magic ever give away these things that are extremely magical? Why wouldn't he or his family still have them? And that's never really addressed. But in the show, they go into what happened, why that happened, and like the characters involved in that process, which is which humanizes a lot of the stuff that Otherwise, I think would feel very sort of ethereal and meaningless. That's mm-hmm. fun. I like that. Yeah, so I recommend it. Um, again, I feel like you have to be uh, sort of open to it to enjoy it. And if you're going into it expecting it to be bad, then you your expectations will be met. But if you just want to say, like, I want to watch something that is, you know, hot topic goth <laughs> uh aesthetics then you'll have a good time it's a good it's a good time that's what i'll say okay anyway louisa what did you do this week uh this week i started watching a series that's years old but i was recommended it i thought i have to watch that forgot about it it existing (laughs) remembered again Mm -hmm. so i started it's the um tv series of four weddings and a funeral you know about this oh i forgot that existed as well yeah Adapted by Mindy Kaling to be a ten-part uh, mini-series. Uh, a ten-part mini-series. Mini-series, <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, it's very loosely based on the movie. You can see uh, she loves romantic comedies like that. She's always talked about that sort of thing. Um, you can see that she loves it, but she's sort of being inspired by it rather than uh, transliterating it into a new show. So I do like the movie, and I would probably watch it again if Andy McDowell wasn't in it. So maybe, yeah. is Andy McDowell in the series? I don't think so. I've only seen the first one. <laughs> oh, she's so terrible in that movie. Yeah. A- an actress who is known for being terrible is especially terrible in that movie, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's your beef with Andy McDowell? But mm, she's so bad at literally everything. Mm. Sometimes you want that in an actor. I don't Do know. You? The- yeah. The problem is that in Four Ways in a Funeral, she's up against a lot of extremely good and funny British comedians. Mm, yeah. And you just watch it, and it's like 
it's like one of the characters has suffered a severe brain trauma, but no one is talking about it. <laughs> like, yeah. I genuinely remember the last time I watched this movie feeling like, Hugh Grant, you shouldn't flirt with this woman. She's like, there's something wrong with her personality. <laughs> <laughs> she looks just like yeah. Andy McDowell. Yeah. <laughs> behaves exactly like her, too. It's creepy. <laughs> Uh, no, so the main character we follow in this one is, um, it's, uh, played by Natalie Emanuel, who was in Game of Thrones. She was, uh, Miss Anday, um, uh, Daenerys's, uh, guide oh, but- who she f- frees from slavery, mm-hmm. who speaks all those languages. Yes, yes. So anyway, she's great. Uh, she's the one that fell- falls in love with the leader of the eunuch slave uh, yeah. army, is that right? Okay, yes. Grey Worm, this. yes. Yep. Uh, so she's great. What's weird is the plot, the way they mix the two worlds, <laughs> I guess trying to be like the original, I don't know, uh, is that there are four American friends from New York who do a semester abroad in London in college. We find out all this later. But they did a semester abroad in college. They all decided they loved it so much they were going to move there forever. Three of them did. One of them, Natalie Emanuel, uh, gets a job in a political track, and it's like her dream job, so she stays in New York. So we find out she's mm-hmm. still living in New York at the beginning. But it's weird because she is an English actress. She does a pretty good job with the American accent, but sometimes you're like, mm, I forget if she's supposed to be one of the London ones or the New York ones. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, but, so uh, how, yeah, many, so how got, many weddings and funerals are there? So far, I've only seen one wedding. Mm. Yeah, so there you go. They're they saving for the next season. <laughs> yeah. It's going to end with three weddings and no funerals. And then it's going to be like, if you want to see more, send a, a sugar packet to yeah. the studio or whatever. <laughs> That's right. Um, is that, is so, that a thi- is that part of the movie? Uh, there was a thing about, a, you, there was a show called Jericho that was a post-apocalyptic thing. Oh, no, I'm aware of that concept. I thought Sugar Packet was chosen because it was about- No, I was I just know. thinking, was it, like, hot sauce or something for know. Jericho? I thought it was for, like, Supernatural. for some show, yeah. I don't know, I don't keep up, but yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it's stressing me out, because, I, like I said, I've only seen the first episode, and of course, in a movie-slash-series like this- the first episode is about how everyone's with the wrong person for them because they haven't figured out how to look for true love yet. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's so stressful. And people are like, yeah, I guess I should get engaged. No, you shouldn't. Don't do it. I know they have to yeah. raise the stakes for later, but oh, <laughs> very stressful. Uh, it's also got uh, Nikesh Patel in it, who was, is, I guess it's still going, in uh, Starstruck. He is the movie star oh. that Rose yes, Matafeo yes. falls in love with. Yeah, I yeah, I know so he's great. Yeah. Uh, I've talked about it on this show to you before, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. I don't know if Jeff would like it. I don't know if Jeff's the right audience for no, it. No, it's very, it's very rom commy in a way that I think Jeff would be bored by. I just don't like shows. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, fair. yeah. It's not that I anyway, don't like I think, them. It's hard to do. I think Matt, you would like this four winnings and a funeral. So. Yeah, maybe. I sometimes get very frustrated by exactly the concept you're talking about of, Mm -hmm. like, if people are in a relationship that's bad for them, and they're, like, doubling down on it in a rom-com, I know that they're going to get out of it sooner or later, (laughs) and so everything they do between now and them breaking up with the person just makes me more angry. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's not yeah. like real life where this person could theoretically spend the rest of their life with this terrible partner. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you're going to do it. Just fucking do it already. You're just making it worse for yourself and everyone around you. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I feel okay about it. Like I said, it did stress me out. But knowing that this is a miniseries, it's fully tied up in ten episodes. There will not be any more mm. seasons. Like, that makes it okay for it's me. It's a Mindy series, actually. Oh, you're right. I think yes. you'll find <laughs> uh, I uh, I I have trouble with genres that rely on people not communicating with one another. If, yeah, like like that Three's Company style misunderstanding, where like mm-hmm. the characters are saying no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, instead of just like explaining mm-hmm. or yes, like they're staying mean, in, they're I staying think- in a relationship that they don't like. Just because, yeah. like, they don't want to say, like, eh, I'd rather be with someone else, or this isn't giving me what I need. But I think the thing is, there's a way to do that wrong, like a lot of romantic comedies mm-hmm. do, and there's a way to do it right, because Jane Austen did that a lot. And the idea that mm-hmm. the person who is who who is doing the misunderstanding thinks they understand, for very reasonable reasons, thinks they understand exactly what's going on. So them, like, pulling away or not talking to the person makes perfect sense, because they don't think they need to do that. They don't think there's a misunderstanding. And that can work, because that's very Yeah, I think think it has a lot to do with having respect for your audience, because I feel like a lot of modern rom-coms, when there's that element of, like, this person's with the wrong person, they need to keep hitting you over the head with how wrong that person is. Yeah. Whereas something like Jane, Jane Austen, you know, she'll be like, you know, this person is Mr. What is his name? Um, Mr. Mitzopitalik. No, the Mr. Churchill the, from Emma. I'm Re- trying to figure out here. No, Emma. from Pride and Prejudice, the the vicar that she almost marries, oh, Mr. Just, Collins, and then Charlotte Church. Yes, Mr. Collins. Thank you. Um, like Mr. Collins is on his face terrible <laughs> from the second you meet him in the book. You're like he sucks, but the character spends all like you know. All of the stuff that we see through Elizabeth. No, is that her name? Yeah, Lizzie. Elizabeth? Yes. yes. Lizzie, yes. Through Lizzie's eyes, she spends all of her time trying to talk herself into marrying him. Like, well, it would be good for my family, and it would be blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that we as the audience are like, well, we understand that she's doing this because she hates him. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, it's believable to us that she would consider marrying him because we've seen all these reasons why she's she's trying to talk herself into it. Yeah. But just the fact that she's trying to talk herself into it is what lets us know that it's not going to work. And I feel like nowadays when you see a movie, you know, Jennifer Aniston will be like, oh, yeah, I love him, even though he, you know, takes shits on the kitchen floor all the time or whatever. And it's like. No one would ever convince themselves that this is a good partner. Yeah, like with Mr. Darcy, uh, when Lizzie thinks she's found out that Mr. Darcy convinced Mr. Bingley not to propose to Jane, which Jane wanted very much, Lizzie is so Mm -hmm. furious that Mr. Darcy, he did it, and then she confronts him about it, and he's like, yeah, I did do that. And from both of their points of view, you find out later, that makes perfect sense. They both think they're doing the moral thing. And you see why they're so yeah. angry with each other, and it makes sense, like, in every direction. And then they so kiss. I, I do appreciate that. <laughs> well, not li- then. They, well, get kissed uh, when they, they kiss when they marry, so there's that. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. 
<laughs> and I think it's good that later on, when they both find out why the other person did what they did, they both kind of understand. <laughs> like, that's quite hard to do, is to make it so that both of their points of views, when they when you first hear about them, sound unreasonable. Yeah. And then when you hear them explained, even though you don't agree, I still think Mr. Darcy was in the wrong to do what he did. Yeah. But when you realize why, you're like, oh, actually, like... That makes him a good person, even if he was, like, just incorrect in this instance. Yeah, exactly. Ah. So, anyway, yeah. I think uh, this Four Weddings and a Funeral will be pretty good, and, uh, yeah, I recommend it to Matt, not to Jeff. <laughs> but Jeff, what why did you do this week? Oh, gone. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Matt. Why don't they teach Jane Austen in high school? They did when I was I feel school. like they used to. I think did they, they did when I was in high school, too, just, like, for the honors and AP courses, which I elected not to take, because why would I do more work? It's high school. I had to read Pride and Prejudice in 11th grade English. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think I did. I think I just read Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility for fun. And I tried to read Emma, but I hated her so much (laughs) from the first page. (laughs) Yeah. I can understand that, that, even though I don't hate her. Yeah. (laughs) Having seen two, Um, having seen two movie adaptations of it, I think you're supposed to dislike her. I mean, yes. Although, I don't know. I think that um, Alicia Silverstone in Clueless is pretty <laughs> likable, despite being <laughs> awful. The Fair. thing about the book, Emma, is it's like weird fantasy fulfillment for Jane Austen, who was always poor and always had to worry about uh, social connections and finding love or not, and that being you making mm. a future or not. And then Emma doesn't have to worry about any of that, like out of all her heroines. Right. Yeah, is she the first manic pixie dream girl to discuss? <laughs> Ooh, I like this uh, line of inquiry. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> no, we'll I'm going to say in. also yes. Okay. Yep. We're in agreement. Uh, sure, we yes. have an accord. Yep. 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 Um, very good. Or is it Eve? <laughs> oh, no. Is is Eve the first manic pixie oh, girl? Oh, yeah, because Lilith was, I was so like, serious, I was like, but then here comes Eve with her cool uh, pink haircut mm-hmm. and... <laughs> <laughs> her crooked yeah. ways. Adam's busy fucking naming everything or whatever, and then yeah. she comes along and she's like, nah, that's boring. Have this apple. <laughs> literal literal devil may care attitude. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh fuck. I think we actually have discovered the underpinnings of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is that it's based in the misogyny of the women Bible. are the ones that lead us to like try new things possibly to our detriment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mm. women lead us to try new things, and in the Bible, that's bad, and in real life, it's fun. <laughs> but sometimes also bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes it makes you uh, have your memory erased or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the thing I did this week, thank you for yes. asking me, Louisa, ten minutes ago, uh, <laughs> is I finished, uh, I was playing The Quarry with uh, Chris and Leah. Oh, oh yeah. It's like the, a story most- horror game, right? slasher movie choose your own adventure game kind of thing yeah it is the most recent game from the developer uh supermassive who made oh boy they made like a bunch by daylight uh no no not that one until dawn oh uh, oh until dawn yeah you're right they made like a bunch of garbage playstation nothing games and then they made until dawn which was like a sort of interactive movie style game mm. um and people loved that one um, I'm going back and finishing that now. The complicated thing about Until Dawn is there's, like, five different 
horror gimmicks all happening at the same time. What was that right? Um, with oh, horror, horror gimmicks. gimmicks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sorry, like I'm confused. it's it like if you can imagine if like in Scream there were also unrelated to Ghostface killing people like monsters around that were doing stuff and like some other guy who's having his own monster fighting story that you keep seeing but you don't really know what he's up to uh <laughs> and those stories don't seem to interact in any way uh until dawn is fun but like kind of a mess and that's part of the fun uh the quarry is a little more focused um okay but it stars uh much better facial recognition than Until Dawn, but much worse lighting, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but you've got, let's see, who's in there? Justice Smith. You've got... Uh, David Arquette. Yeah, David Arquette. Ted Raimi. Uh, Ariel Winter. Um, Lance Henriksen. Skylar Gizondo, I know. Oh, okay, I don't know Skylar. Oh, cause he's from the Righteous Gemstones, right? He is. He also uh, used to be young Sean in some of the flashbacks on Psych. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so we, we played through this, and it's pretty fun. Uh, you're a bunch of uh, camp counselors at a summer camp. Um, there's, like, a prologue that takes place the day before camp starts, and then uh, there's a time skip, and most of the rest of the game takes place on, like, the night after the last day of camp. Um is this the same studio that does those Man of Medan games? Yeah, they also did the Dark Pictures anthology, of which we all played the Man of Medan on a weekend away, and yeah. I think you two specifically hated it a lot. I hated it I a lot. I didn't. I think, you're, yeah, Louisa definitely hated it a lot. It was maybe um, the I worst gaming experience of my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, Man of Medan was another one where it's, I don't really remember, they were like, what was it, on a boat and the boat's haunted? Is there an additional mm. thing? Is it like the boat's haunted and then also there's Krakens or something? No, no, I think it was that they they are like out on a pleasure cruise, but in a fishing boat or whatever, and then they find a giant ghost ship full of ghosts from yeah. World War Two or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler uh, alert, weird hallucinogenic experiments are part of it. Okay. Uh, yeah, that one I don't remember very well. Until Dawn, I hadn't played in like six years, but I dipped back in and was like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I remember what's going on here. I remember they did one that was like set in the Salem Witch Trials that I was like, that might be interesting, but I never got around to caring about it. Oh yeah, that's gonna be the, uh, the next one. I've already downloaded that to, um, to Chris and Leah's PlayStation so we can play that. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if that one's better. Uh, I like that they're able to get actors now, though it was weird going back to Until Dawn, which stars a bunch of nobodies, and then mm. also Hayden Panettiere, Rami Malek, and Peter Stormare, who are all weird. very famous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, that's. I feel like that's something you see a lot in smaller studio productions of any kind, where they like spent their whole casting budget on one or two very famous people. Mm. Yeah, I think it was just, like, Hayden Panettiere was, like, right at the end of her, her like, peak of fame. Of her life. This was right before she died. Oh, no! No, it was, it was, it was like, it was 2015. We have to save the world. No. Uh, she hadn't, 
She hadn't done anything since, like, Scream 4, it, four years earlier than this. So, like, it made sense. She's, you know, fan- Is it Wasn't she on Nashville or yeah, some show say. like that for a long time? Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, she was on Nashville at the time that she filmed, uh, filmed, I guess, <laughs> performance captured until dawn. So that makes sense. She was, like, maybe a big star and then kind of on a TV show, uh, Rami Malek hadn't quite hit the Oscar fame that he eventually uh, obtained, so... He hadn't yet gotten his giant teeth for Freddie Mercury yeah. performing. <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's a little weird to go back and see him and be like, oh yeah, this guy goes on to be in Mr. Robot in that uh, Freddie Mercury movie, um, which has probably tanked his career, right? I don't know. Oh no, he's yeah, the James Bond like villain, so he's, he's still doing well. Yeah, I feel like that wouldn't really be a blip on anyone's career anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, you did that weird thing, yeah. but that's fine. It's it's interesting, though, because I feel like, and this is not a knock against him, I mean, he's like, he seems like a pretty good actor and a pretty normal guy, but it seems like most of the roles that he's gotten, he's gotten because he has, like, an interesting look. Yeah. Like, his yeah. face is sort of odd, um, and that I feel like that can only take you so far in... Hollywood or whatever. I guess. What's weird Maybe. is I think he's I mean, one of the like, actors who has a secret twin, a secret identical twin, isn't he? I believe that's true. Yeah, he has a twin. He, he has a twin, and whenever you see them posted on social media, the caption is something like, "It looks like uh, Rami Malek's twin got all the nutrients in the womb, or whatever." <laughs> his, his twin is like not not shaped the same sort of uh, uh, lanky, tired eye way that. That Rami Malik is. Hmm, I don't know if I agree. I think they look very similar. Yeah, I want to look at them again. Well, anyway, yeah, I think that <laughs> I think that like in the style of not that I'm saying that they look similar, but I feel like in the style of a Steve Buscemi, like you can reach a level of fame where you are the interesting looking actor in things and mm-hmm. then i you kind of run out of steam yeah i was i i was your my counter to that was going to be steve buscemi has had like a 40 year long career just based on having those uh, yeah, peter yeah but he's Laurie never been eyes. a leading man I mean, arguably, Rami Malek has already had more success than Steve Buscemi because he's been the star of a movie. Yeah, uh, I would rather, I would always, always rather uh, see a, like, fun character actor, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would love for Hollywood to give up on the idea that every main character in every movie has to be Chris Pratt. Literally Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not even moved on to a Chris Pratt type yet. Yeah. <laughs> we found the we found Chris Pratt, who is a, you know, a uh insert guy here type. <laughs> yeah. I like that we went from Marvel Studios hiring a bunch of Chris's and everyone being like, haha, these are the Chris's that are gonna be in everything. And then Hollywood is like, no, even more specific, just this one Chris is gonna be in everything. Yeah. <sighs> I remember when there was a, a moment in time where, who was that Chris that played, Chris Pine, mm-hmm. was like in six different things at once, and everyone was like, this Chris Pine, Pine is going to be the one that takes over the world, and then he just disappeared. Yeah. I think uh, I think less is more with, with Chris Pine. I like him a lot more than I like Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, I, I think he's really good in all of the things I've seen him in, and- 
I haven't heard anything about him that makes me think he's a terrible person. Yeah. Which doesn't mean he's not a terrible person, but I'm happy <laughs> to be ignorant of it in a way that I can't be about Chris Pratt, a person I used to think was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I hope this I, um, uh, D&D movie is good that Chris Pine's in. Oh, yeah. That's exciting. Oh, yeah, I me. forgot he was in that. Yeah. It's not going to be good. No. It I might it be. <laughs> it can't be. The problem is that they're trying to adapt D&D as if they were uh, like it's adapting Lord of the Rings, but mm-hmm. there's not a story in D and D. It's not you can't do that because it's like if you were like I'm going to adapt the AAA Auto Guide to the United States into a movie. Yeah, well, I don't it's, know. They, it's there's got, ways to do it. Yeah, it's got iconic elements that you would want to include in something to indicate this is a D&D thing, but then, like, mm-hmm. you're not beholden to a certain story, which I think gives you more leeway to, one, succeed, and two, fail. Uh, the problem is this. Any answer to the question, how do you make this not just a generic fantasy movie, is something that is going to make the movie worse. I I think that, I don't think you have to make it not a generic fantasy movie, I think just if you make it a pretty good fantasy action movie and then, I don't know, put some orcs and beholders in there, you're good. Yeah. I think that the best you could hope for, which isn't this movie, but maybe someday they'll make a good D&D movie if they make a D&D movie about, like, the adventures of Drizzt or whatever. That would be cool. The characters from the D&D novels, I think you could get there from, from that, but... I don't know. It's like trying to adapt the rules for Canasta into a video, into a movie. Like, it doesn't, it's just a set of rules. There's no, I don't know. I would be okay with Canasta the movie. That would be fun. (laughs) But you're not adapting the game Canasta. You're adapting the rules for Canasta into a movie. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I like that. (laughs) Have you ever played Canasta? Do you know how to play Canasta? Mm -mm. I'm going to learn from watching the movie. (laughs) Uh, I wonder. I, I wonder if there will be a cameo by Drist Dillardin in this D and D movie to like I don't know set up a TV show or something. I mean, I genuinely think that the best way that they could do this would be to have this movie be set in the D and D universe and like have stuff going on um, that is unrelated to any of the the characters that everyone knows but maybe have those characters appear in the story, like, you know, Tasha or uh, Minsk or other famous D&D characters. Well, they might. Just they might be, be doing around. That. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. They'd have to resist the urge to have Tasha come in and be like, hey, everyone, have you heard about my hideous laughter or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Like. Uh, they would have to be subtle about it, and I don't trust that they will be. I am surprised that the filmmaking pair behind it is competent. But then, mm. then again, the Warcraft movie was directed by Duncan Jones, and no one liked it. And that guy has otherwise made that movies, the only movies that people like. He's that one who did that song, I'm Barely Breathing. Oh, right. What? I got your joke, Matt. <laughs> I don't get it, I'm sorry. Uh, no, he's he's David Bowie's kid who made Moon and Source Code. I've never heard of those movies. What? That's Sam, that Sam Rockwell. You've heard of Moon. Yeah, it's that Sam Rockwell movie where I think there's another, <laughs> there's Sam, there's Rockwell, another Sam Rockwell. No, spoil, Rockwell. <laughs> no spoilers. I didn't see it. 
Sam Rockwell fucks Sam Rockwell. No, oh, you're, that's you're thinking code, of that? the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where there's two Sam Rockwell fans. <laughs> Yeah, uh, source code is that one where Jake Gyllenhaal has to do uh, an escape room VR on a train to stop a terrorist. I feel like you're gaslighting me with both of these <laughs> movies. Neither of these movies are real. What are you saying? Source Moon, card. Moon so- a- Go ahead. Sorry. Moon won an Academy Award, Louis. Yeah, that's not <laughs> I've never like heard source of this code. Movie. I get. Source code is definitely a like movie that Jeff likes that didn't really do that well. Ugh. It's shocking to me when you described the plot of Source Code, it sounded like an AI-generated story for a bad movie. <laughs> have you, like, have have you, you seen it? That... No, oh, I haven't. You might like it. I might. It's. I will tell you this, and this is not meant to be an insult to you, Jeff, but the way you just described it sure as hell isn't going to talk me <laughs> into watching this movie. <laughs> uh, let's, well, I'm thinking, let me think about the other sort of like that era of action movie uh that i like did you did you ever watch edge of tomorrow no okay did you ever watch dread no did you ever watch this is my last one mission impossible ghost protocol no i find tom cruise to be pretty off-putting i i do like the mission impossible movies in a general sense but i can't enjoy watching them because i think tom cruise is very creepy yeah it's uh it's definitely troubling but also there's not really other actors who are like no for the fans we need to tie me to the tallest building in the world with no net uh, i'm sure there are they just don't get cast in anything because you know chris pratt is the star yeah. of everything. <laughs> well i part of the issue part of the issue is tom cruise had to get incredibly famous to be allowed to do stupid stunts because he had to form his own uh insurance company to insure mm. himself mm. <laughs> yes. because insurance companies wouldn't be like no we're not going to insure you for the movie shoot where you tie yourself to a plane and have someone fly it around you idiot <laughs> I don't even think Tom Cruise is a bad person. I mean, he probably he, Oh is, no, but... he's objectively evil. He's like the front like, he's the he's the face of a cult. That's true, but I think more so than being like he is bad, but more so he's like sad. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's real messed I up. I can watch a movie I can watch a movie with a bad person in it and like sort of separate the art from the artist in a way, but Watching Tom Cruise being quote unquote awesome, it like the element of sadness that I feel for Tom Cruise or like about Tom Cruise uh, makes it so that I can't really enjoy just the mindlessness of it. Like he's someone who's holding himself hostage. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, I we definitely don't have to get into this deeply, but like Jordan Peterson is such a terrible person. But the fact that he just bursts into tears randomly when people talk to him about nothing makes me so sad. Not for him, because he's so bad a person that I hope that he has nothing but suffering for every second of the rest of his life. But just sad in general that there are people who have hurt themselves psychologically so badly and think they're doing great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's... I guess I feel differently about... It's more like... Oh, I forgot you're a huge Jordan Peterson. Yeah, no, I love him. He told me to <laughs> clean my rooms to keep the trans people away, yeah. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, yeah, he's... you'll never be gay if you clean your room every day. <laughs> he's a he's yeah. a stupid, bad monster asshole. Uh, I think mm. the difference is, like, I don't get sad looking at a Van Gogh painting, because mm-hmm. he was a very sad person and channeled it into making beautiful art. 
Tom Cruise is a very sad person who channels it into making the most audacious and stupid action movies. I think it's just that, like, the sadness that I feel thinking about Van Gogh kind of dovetails with his art in a way that has this sort of longing in it. Whereas I feel like sadness is antithetical to everything Tom Cruise is trying to do. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, he, anyway, I'm he's the about. embodiment of could a depressed person do this? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Could a depressed yes. person do this? Break world record for holding breath underwater. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I think so. Uh, I think that this uh, I think that this D and D movie is going to be pretty good. I really liked Game Night and. Uh, this was one of the, I think, three screenwriting teams that was on Spider-Man Homecoming, and I think they wrote the section of the movie that I liked. Now, obviously, I hope the answer here is no, but you said Game Night, which made me think of it. Is John Cena going to be in this fucking movie? In the D&D movie? Yeah. I don't think he's in Game Night, is he? Isn't he? Or... Hmm. I don't know. There were so many. He was in a bunch of comedies around. He was in Cock Blockers yeah. and uh, what was that? Yeah, maybe I'm thinking the of the other Cock guys. Blockers. Is that is that the other guys? Is he in that? No. Which what? one's Game Night? Game Night is the one where Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams have to like they invite friends over for a game night, and then there's some kind of like mystery series of violent crimes that seems okay. to be like someone's messing with them via their their game night. I, I remember there's the commercials where came out. Sorry, uh, there's some lag. I can't tell if I'm talking when you're talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that uh, they had those commercials where uh, Jason Bateman has his little white dog who's covered in blood, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta fix this." But then on some of the channels, it was censored, I guess, so it wouldn't look like blood, and the dog was just covered in dripping brown stuff, and it was so horrible. <laughs> no. <laughs> Christ. <sighs> Was Jason Bateman also in Cockblockers? For some reason, Cockblockers and Game Night has fused into one thing in my memory. He might have been. Um, now I want to... Well, they both came out in 2018, so you probably saw the trailers at the same movies. Yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't It doesn't look like uh, Jason Bateman was in there, but Ike Barinholtz was. Was he in Game Night, though? It seems like he was in Game Night. But he wasn't! What the hell? Oh no! Jesse Plemons was there. Okay. Anyway, we don't need to get into this. Anyway, Game Night's pretty good if you want to watch like a, a fun little standalone comedy. Uh, All I will say about relating to the John Cena thing is, I'm pretty sure I'm now at a place in my life where any movie that has a professional wrestler in it, I am not interested in at all. Yeah, even if it's something I really like, I might not even see the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie for this because of this rule. Oh, because Batista's in it. Even yeah. though you've seen the other five, I know movies he's been in. I had to learn my <laughs> lesson, which is that professional wrestlers in movies are always bad. Even The Rock. I know Ooh, we're all shocked by it, but I think that I'm just so over professional wrestlers somehow becoming actors that I can't. I can't get back on board. I think you have to use them sparingly. I thought Drax was pretty good in that first one. And then he became a comic relief character and I was like, no thank you. Yeah, it's exhausting to have him on screen for any length of time. Yeah. Uh, John Cena also do not care for him as a comedic character. I think that him being the straight man in an otherwise comedic story works much better. Yeah, it's weird how the most recent 
batch of comedy writers seem to think that the bit the best joke to make is to have the straight man be the comedic character mm. yeah like, like drax is the textbook definition of a straight man character he doesn't get jokes that's his whole thing yeah so to make him be the comic relief character is objectively insane oh you know what wrestler's a decent actor rowdy roddy piper rest in peace uh, I don't know if I've ever seen him. Yeah, he I was mean, good on It's Always Sunny. Sunny in yeah. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was also, he was the star in They Live, which, yes. I've not seen that. You know, it doesn't require a dynamite Oscar tier acting, but it's a John Carpenter sci fi action movie, and that's pretty fun. Doesn't yeah. he fight Keith David, who I mean, is amazing? He, oh my god, they have yeah. like a 10 minute long fist <laughs> fight just over who gets to keep the glasses that make you see aliens. It rules. Great. Uh, anyway, what's the show that we do? So, the show that we do is we go to the WikiHow Suggested Articles page and put in a random word so that we can see a list of articles people have requested related to that word. And today's word is mood. Hooray! Mm, big mood. Thank you, mood. Get it? Yeah. Oh, uh, Swatch. Good, good Swatch night. the dog. I love good Swatch. Night, Pro- Project, Project Runway? Remember? No. Remember Swatch the, the dog, Jeff? Shop. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how to deal with moody men. Louisa, Jeff's how not do you focus on it. <laughs> That's smart. Good work, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I don't know deal- what we're talking about, so of course we I'm not. someone to move us out of that hole. <laughs> how to deal with moody men. I think it's good if you can, um, usually moody, when I say moody men, I mean uh, men who are way too aggressive and angry and they think that that's just a fine way to relate to people. And if you can, like, point out that they're being too much in a way that diminishes that, you can really make them feel like shit. And sometimes that works. <laughs> if they're always yelling I about something, that- yeah. I I also find that sometimes just agreeing with whatever they're saying can really take the wind out of their sails, where you're like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, I guess. I guess so. Hmm. I'm implying that you're overreacting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I I deal with the moodiest men of all as part of my job, uh, Mm 15-year-old boys. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, you work with our friend Chris, right? Yeah. He's- Ah, Got him. Freaking got him. Um- (laughs) But the the way you deal with it at that age is they're just kind of playing around with the idea of being an aggressive douchebag all the time. So like if you if you can consistently like not make not let that work for them, mm-hmm. like in whatever way, either like okay, if you're gonna be mean, I'm just like not gonna talk to you, or uh yeah. consistently being nice through it, that usually will like soothe that habit a bit uh but once they've become men who have chosen this as a lifestyle i don't know maybe tell them that you won't talk to them when they're being so emotional is there any way we could get them all into like a pit like just (laughs) to fight each other like quarry somewhere yeah i mean they could do whatever they want in that pit they just can't get out of the pit no they're gonna gonna turn into they're gonna turn into banes down there you can't let them become banes I thought you were going to say Morlocks. <laughs> <laughs> also that. That's also bad. <laughs> They're going to develop superpowers down there. Yeah, we don't want a Morlock Bane. <laughs> oh, oh my god. god. Can you imagine? Worst of both worlds. They're all going to turn into golems down there. <laughs> oh, speaking of how to um, make a mood ring. I feel like we've talked yeah, about I'm this curious before. why anyone would want to. 
Is the uh, one ring a mood ring? Mm, yes, no. and your mood is rage. That's the only or mood invisible. Ring. Yeah, it's well, a mood <laughs> ring. In my experience, a mood ring is one that like you give the mood, and then the ring tells you about it. Whereas the ring, the one ring, gives you the mood. No. you are getting a mood from this ring. You give the mood, and then the <laughs> ring turns it into a magic power that's out of your control. <laughs> But it always it turns it, it, regardless of your mood, it turns the power, it's the same power for everyone, which is insanity. <laughs> well, no, Frodo doesn't want to be there, and so he's, the ring just turns him invisible. I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think that that's what the implication is that the power of the ring <laughs> it turn, is. It turns Andy Circus into a little uh, gray monster man. But every all of the hobbits that wear the ring go invisible, right? It's not like not Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil's he a hobbit? hobbit. He's a god. I don't know. His name sounds hobbity. Okay. He's always dancing around. That seems like a hobbit type of thing to do. Sure. <laughs> Singing his dumbass songs. <laughs> I I mean, I'm sure that there are many people in the world who would tell me that I am just not grasping the One Ring's, like, true power. You can't grasp the One Ring, it'll take you over it. Don't let that happen. No, you can grasp it, you just can't put it on. Yeah, you have to keep it right here in your pocket. Yeah, but listen, I'm saying, I've always thought, I've read those books many times, and I've watched some of the movies, but (laughs) the fact that there's that part where the the one human guy from the the group the fellowship, if you will, of the ring, um, is like, we should take this ring and we could use it to defeat the Dark Lord. And I'm looking at this and thinking, so far the only things that we've seen happen to people who put this ring on is they turn invisible and then go insane and murder all their friends. How are you going to use- Like, maybe somebody who already knows how to use this ring could do it, but you, a dipshit, Sean Bean- (laughs) are not going to figure it out before you go insane and murder all your friends. Which is what the, the fucking bad guy wants, right? What do you- like? That's what the ring wants, what too, though. Isn't it calling to people saying, put me on? he simply walk into mortar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm saying that you could simply walk into Mordor, as far as I know. Mm, all right. <sighs> if only if you only knew. there was a meme that could explain to me. If only me. you knew. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I feel like if this ring had shown any other powers, I could maybe get on board. But even if the ring was like, yeah, and also when you put it on, it does make you insane, but you could shoot sick fireballs out of your fingers or whatever. Oh, rule. Like, you're still not going to beat an entire army with that, and it still makes you insane! (laughs) That's fine. You need Maybe you need to be insane to fight Sauron. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if you can't beat him go insane and then beat him. Yeah. You need to you need to drink the jokerizing potion so that you can think like the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> and also, while we're pointing out plot holes in The Lord of the Rings, the idea that the Nazgul are the humans that got rings and then they put them on and then their tortured souls are servants of Sauron forever because of it. If the idea is that the rings that you the rings of power bind you to the one ring, now that Frodo has the One Ring, why can't he control the Nazgul? Am I right? Yeah, cinema sins. 
isn't that one of the powers of the one ring that makes it worth having? Isn't that the whole fucking point? Maybe it's because he's too stupid and lazy. Like, those are the key traits of hobbits that make it so that he's the one who has to carry it to the place. But, like, all of the human, the Nazgul's that were humans and became Nazgul's hate Sauron, and they have to serve him because of the whole in the darkness bind them thing. But now that he doesn't have the ring anymore, why aren't they like, fuck off, Sauron? I'm not gonna do your shit anymore. Hmm. Maybe they heard about the plan to take the ring to Mount Doom and were like, you're gonna bring it back to Sauron, you idiot! Keep it away from him! <laughs> See, now that would be a much more interesting story! I mean, they don't speak English, and the, those ghosts just kind of are there. We don't know. That could be what they're up to. Yeah, or maybe they're like, these hobbits are going to need some motivation to keep moving and not just stop and eat infinite breakfasts or whatever. So oh, yeah. let's just keep scaring them towards Mordor. That bread that heals 3 HP. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, man. Chris is probably apoplectic and throwing his headphones across the room listening to this I'm episode now, right now. As we are talking, as this podcast is playing in his headphones, he is typing a message on Discord of how he doesn't want to be our friend anymore. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, the One Ring is probably like uh, some World War One thing, right? Like uh, machine guns. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's exactly some mustard old, gas. Like Ring of the Ring of the Nibble Nung thing. It's like oh, ancient Norse legend stuff, which a lot of the time doesn't really make. Oh sense. wait, uh, Lord of the Rings came out in the fifties. The One Ring is the atomic bomb. Uh, no, did he ever? Okay, I get yeah. it. Did I, I ever get into World War Two stuff, or was he always his whole life preoccupied with World War One? Though, I mean, he was a veteran of World War One, but I imagine having yeah. lived through World War Two as a veteran of World War One probably informed his writing, even if he would never admit it. Like, it's just a fun action so. story about wizards and hobbits. Like, yeah, but you also <laughs> put in like an ultimate power weapon that will destroy society and uh, drives everyone insane uh, in but their effort to get standing. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. What? Leaves buildings standing? That was oh, the, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. theoretical Ugh. atomic bomb thing? Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> Give us another one. How to improve mood with music. Uh, play now, there's fun a lot of ways that There's a lot of ways that you could interpret this, like, you know, I'm feeling sad and I want to feel happier, so I need to play happy music. But I also like the idea of whatever mood you're in, like, accentuating that mood with music. So, like, if you're sad playing sad music, that sometimes is the best. Mm. No, I think um, the key is you say, Alexa, play Despacito. Mm-hmm. And then if, that will Yeah, whatever mood you're in. <laughs> that will either enhance or yeah, cure absolutely. the mood, depending on the mood that you're in. Yeah. <sighs> It's very freaky living in a world where Louisa starts laughing a full 30 seconds after every joke that we make. (laughs) Yeah, and what's weird is the lag works both ways, so whenever I say anything, there's a long pause after I'm done before you guys respond, and it sucks. Interesting. We're we're doing that on purpose because we want you to know that we don't find you funny. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it! Jesus, got me. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my god, I love this one. How to tell when a snake is in the mood for breeding. Oh god, why do you love this one? <laughs> it's very funny that someone is like, alright, I have all the components for snake breeding, but I don't know when they're horny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, why it's impossible to tell. Just, 
they get turgid <laughs> and stiff. I don't what their whole body. Yeah, <laughs> gross. I feel like I feel like any time that you're breeding animals, as soon as you bring the idea that the animal is or isn't in the mood for breeding, it gets gross for me. Like, isn't the whole idea that you just put a male and female in the same space and then turn around the best? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I mean that's just how it works in yeah. Pokemon. Yeah, you, you have to not be looking at the Pokemon, and then they will, uh, <laughs> then they'll produce the, an egg, but we don't know where it comes from. Because the alternative is utterly macabre. Like, <laughs> are you saying that you're sitting around watching your horse waiting until he gets horny enough that you can mate him with somebody, something? Yeah, I mean that is the way it works for animals like that, though, because they go into heats or don't. It's probably easy to tell when a horse is horny, too. Can't you just, like, don't you just make their horse horny? Okay, I don't like where this is going. No, like, you introduce the horse to another horse, and then you're like, get horny now, and then you do or don't. Give it a copy of Play Horse magazine. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's, I feel like. I feel like we're trying, we're attributing human characteristics to animals where, like, an animal will be like, is there an opportunity to mate? Yes, then I'm horny. The end, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not anymore, though. Oh, yeah. But they, how do you get a the, woman the in the mood? Here's really... the other side of that coin. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait. Why would you want to. Wait. Is this the other side of the coin of the snake thing? Oh, yeah, this is just like <laughs> yes. we were talking about, like not- Adam and Eve in the Bible. A snake yes, should absolutely. not be breeding with a woman, I don't think. Mm, there's nothing in the Bible that says... <laughs> I think there is, right? <laughs> no, they didn't make a rule against it. That was the issue. Oh, no. that's, why, that's why Eve canonically had there's sex with that the- snake. <laughs> there's nothing in the rule books that says you can't eat the fruit of knowledge. <laughs> Ugh, dumb. Ugh, oh god i'm depressed <laughs> my uh, mood is depressed I like, I like i feel like a lot of people's problems with human interaction is summed up in the phrase how to get a woman in the mood because yeah. it implies the idea that a you have some kind of control over other people's emotions but also b that that's something you should want mm-hmm. like in order to desire the ability to control other people's emotions, it requires a certain amount of, like, sociopathy of, like, I don't care what that person wants their emotions to be, they only exist to do the things I want them to do, and so me manipulating their emotions is a good thing because it gets them to the place I want them to be at. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Also, I think it's a bit, um, the idea that, uh, all women need help to get into the mood, first of all. Second of all, that they all will want exactly the same thing. Like, half the population, Mm -hmm. you've decided, you know, what secret code they need. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Having spoken to female friends about topics along this area, I can say I've never met two women that are in the mood for the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a case where the answer, of course, as always, is to communicate with the other person. Uh, Ooh, boring! Yeah, men, men want to any percent speedrun communication with other people. So you're saying I should scream into a woman's face, get horny, until she gets horny? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, you have to be really aggressive and confrontational about it. 
The magic of uh, the human species is that would work for somebody. There's somebody out there who would do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's we are very close to just inventing club music. <laughs> I think that I think definitely part of the issue with men is there's someone out there who likes that. And so I will try the thing that one out of seven billion people likes on everyone yeah. I meet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> How to play the mood game for theatrical kids. No! I don't know what this is, but I love it. I have no I feel idea. Like it's, it's almost like a um, Tim and Eric sketch name. <laughs> I think it's, it's that like, tedious game. Hi everyone, game. And welcome to the mood game for theatrical kids. Yeah. I think it's that the tedious guy. game where you stand in front of another person and you have to mirror each other's mood. Yeah. Yeah. Theatrical kids absolutely sounds like a euphemism for gay teens. <laughs> oh, definitely, yes. Uh, but it, the other thing I was going to say is uh, the gang plays the mood game for theatrical kids would be an <laughs> episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> that's true, yes. Yeah. A lot of these are how to control mood swings. Yeah, that's I depressing. feel like WikiHow is not the place to go for yeah. that. Well, how about yeah. Calm Down? That's easy. <clears throat> Well, <laughs> what if you just tried uh, not feeling that way? Mm, yeah, what if you thought your way out of depression? <laughs> you tried not being depressed? Mm. Pretty good. <sighs> How to enjoy Galveston, Texas's moody gardens. Oh, fuck. I think we've already done mood as a wiki house subject now. Oh, my God. Hold on. Let me look. <laughs> no. Mood rings made me suspicious, but hearing about moody gardens in Galveston, Texas makes me very suspicious. We did. God damn it. It was episode <laughs> oh. 123. I forgot to check. God damn it. How is this possible? There's so many words. Yeah. Well, shit. <laughs> okay, I guess we'll just delete this whole... <laughs> no! We no, can't. We, can just, we can just end it here. <laughs> Yeah, alright, I guess It's been an hour and a half and we mostly talked about other stuff Yeah, and there's well, nothing in the rule book that says what a podcast show. has to be Did we talk about the mood game for theatrical kids before? I don't think Probably. we did That doesn't sound like something that came up Yeah, anyway Thanks everyone for listening to the show If you liked it, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice And uh, tell your friends about the show if you could That would be very helpful to us uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at HackTheNetPod, or you can join our Discord to talk to us directly uh, by just messaging one of us on Mastodon. I'm at Matt Heron at Mastodon.online. I'm a blur that you see in the dark and not actually a solid corporeal being, so uh, I guess WeaponizedLanguage.com if you want to see other stuff I did. If you turn on your TV at midnight during a rainstorm, yeah. you, the Ooh. fuzz will make the form of Jeff. Yeah, I'll, I'm some kind of Sadako. Mm-hmm. Or Samara. <laughs> or Neil Sadaka. <laughs> yeah, you love laughter in the rain. Is that his? Yeah. Anyway, you can talk to me on Mastodon at Louisa at Mastodon.xyz. All right, thanks everyone for listening to the show. Please come back next week, but in the meantime, please do not forget that if it's not Matt, it's not worth it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I like it. I'm the best around.